what is honestly scary? Like what is, what's adult scary? What's, what's real world scary? Really the scariest thing in all of our lives is regret. Anytime we take on a new location, we try to incorporate the, the history and the culture of that space into that work. Cutting Room Floor is an immersive, not haunted house. It's all of the nascent ideas that have never seen the light of day, all of the, the literal cutting room floor of an artistic process. And then we get to set about problem solving. And that sort of blew open for me, like, what was possible? This is totally ludicrous. It's what we do all the time as performers, is that we invite ourselves to become possessed, you know, sort of the ultimate unknowable. Somewhere between regret, you know, which is very much about human agency and possession, which is about the lack thereof. But it was a way of, of grappling with the unknown. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. This is a season of the surreal. On some certain inexplicable terms, we find ourselves drawn to the ethereal, the supernatural, the unknown and the misunderstood. At the intersection of all these things, lies the cutting room floor. The cutting room floor is not a traditional haunt, no. This show lends a seasonally appropriate levity and exaggeration to the topics of regret and possession. There are ghosts, there are aliens, there is the Aurora Fox Theater, but most importantly, there is Patrick Mueller, the artistic director of Control Group Productions, with us right here, right now, to talk about this spooky season experience in Denver. Enjoy. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on on this lovely Saturday, October morning. Um, I must confess, I have committed one of potentially the greatest sins for an interviewer and come to the conversation with Oh, so many questions, potentially too many, but we shall see, because I am very, very curious about everything that you are working on and have in the past as well, of course. Um, But before we wrap around to that, if you were to choose a fictional, fantasy, mythical, any variety of world, ethos, genre, or story that you would want to live in or spend some time in, what comes to mind? Uh... I apologize. This is going to be a long form answer. Um, no worries. I, this is the one question that I got to see in advance. And it, I think the short answer is, gosh, I couldn't say. Um, the long answer is I, so I, I grew up reading about a 500 page medieval fantasy novel per week from fourth grade through the end of high school. Oh, um, wonderful. And I, I, can say that that's not, it's not where I've situated myself as an artist for sure. Um, but it deeply informs what we do. Um, and yeah, I, I think, I mean, you know, I think what I take away from that, you know, I can say that, you know, I of course love Tolkien and I have, yeah, have dedicated weekends to reading straight through that trilogy nonstop. Um, but, and I, I mean, equally, I, you know, I loved the, I mean, Terry Brooks and Raymond Feist and, um, David Eddings and, um, yeah, all sorts of authors from the, I mean, this is mostly eighties and nineties that we're talking about, um, who created these sort of mirror worlds that, you know, both we learn about our own world and they are wonderful and magical and places where, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's actual magic or just physics that works differently, um, yeah, I th- but I think really more than any one of those worlds, what I loved about that, you know, decade of deeply immersing myself in that genre of fiction was just the pioneer, um, the, the being able to be an explorer and show up in a world and then show up in a next world. And the way that we build a constellation and a sort of comparative experience. Um, yeah, I think I would in terms of the answer to this question, I would prefer a multiverse with some dimensional portals and ability to 
yeah, to sort of hopscotch between different worlds or different realities, different, um, yeah, versions of how things have moved forward or entirely different planets and universes. Um, and the, you know, the ability to explore, I think for me, it's, it's really, it's not about like being the first person ever on a mountaintop, but it is, it's about finding, yeah, novel experiences that bring me back home to a renewed sense of self or to a deeper or deeply shifted understanding of my world and my relationship with it. That is phenomenal. I am very excited to come back to that in the Mace of Immersive segment. Um, especially awesome. given that uh, you're drawing on a an ethos that is not the genre that you t- typically create in, as far as I'm aware. So that will be very cool to right. explore. Um, so working from there, just to start off with, uh, what is the Cutting Room Floor? Um, Cutting Room Floor is a is an invitation, first off, from the Aurora Fox Arts Center, um, which is a city-managed um, regional theater in Aurora, Colorado, suburb of Denver. Um, and they asked us to take over their whole theater with an immersive not-haunted house. Um, and I can say that haunted houses are really not the genre that we work in either. Um, and so it was exciting to sort of have the invitation for it to be something that is that's evoking and that's playing to the, you know, to that sort of the spirit of the, of this season, um, and that particular holiday. Um, and also not to feel beholden to anything in particular that people expect around a haunted house. Um, and so we are turning, uh, this, um, two venue theater inside out. Um, we have things that are happening on the main stage and viewed through a proscenium arch. We have things that are viewed from side stage simultaneous to that. Um, we have scenes in dressing rooms and backstage hallways and the green room, and we've turned the um, the black box um, smaller venue into um, what is, I think that the concrete description is it is deep storage for the theater. Um, the more high concept um, sort of formulation that we're driving at is that it's the um, sort of creative deep storage um, for this creative space, that it's all of the nascent ideas that have never seen the light of day, all of the the literal cutting room floor of an artistic process or many artistic processes. Um, and so it both feels like, you know, they're, they're costumes and set pieces and props um, stowed everywhere. But then, but yeah, very, I mean, sort of going from catalogic to much more installatory, um, uh, yeah, spaces um, and, and build out. Um, and yeah, the, the show is, I mean, you know, in, in sort of the invitation to make something that is a bit haunted without being a haunted house, we sort of looked for like, what is honestly scary? Like what is, what's adult scary? What's, what's real world scary? And the thing that we came up with really the scariest thing in all of our lives um, for the artists involved is regret. Um, so we sort of anchored ourselves there and then, um, yeah. And then sort of, and then through unpacking the, the history of the theater, um, which is a, a big part of how we work is, um, we're a mostly a site-based company and we, um, anytime we take on a new location, we try to incorporate the, the history and the culture of that space or that the neighborhood, That's um, really cool. That's really into cool. that work. And then, and, you know, melt that together with, with the, the full fiction and the thematic handling. Um, and so, yeah, we, I mean, the, the history of this building took us into the forties and fifties and into film, which it started as a, as a, um, 20th century Fox, um, movie theater. Um, and so that then gave us a bunch of Halloween content in terms of fifties horror. Um, and that led us to, a very, I think a, the key concept at this point is possession and ways in which we are not in charge of ourselves. Um, and that is both the, you know, the monster horror, the, you know, the, the werewolf, the, the thing inside you that takes you over at times. Um, and the alien, um, sci-fi and horror that was going on in the fifties, you know, all this pre Sputnik. And so, you know, fabricated whole cloth from, you know, some okay telescopes <laughs> from the time period um, about what deep space might look like and what aliens might look like. Um, 
And so we, yeah, and we realized inside of that, that it's what we do all the time as performers is that we invite ourselves to become possessed by whether it's ghosts embedded in an old script or um, these, you know, these sort of creations that we, you know, sort of Frankenstein creations that we make in devised work that we bring to life right in front of our own eyes. Um, but that, yeah, it is an act of stepping outside of ourselves and being, you know, it, sort of giving control to a different set of drives. Um, and so, yeah, somewhere between regret and, and, you know, which is very much about human agency and possession, which is about the lack thereof. Um, we've created this weird haunted, um, mildly alien infested space, um, of the Fox theater that we guide people through, um, on the, yeah, it's a, uh, about an hour and a half tracked experience, um, built, you know, starting and ending as a theatrical experience and then dropping into small group, intimate, immersive, um, moments. That sounds deeply enticing. Um, the intersection of agency and lack thereof possession and regret is a really, really interesting, like core thesis there. Um, <laughs> and regret as the central concept of this show in many ways, um, is an emotional experience that I think is probably one that most of us wish we were a little bit less familiar with. Um, but it is very much also a part of life in very many ways. So is there any particular core dramatic question or idea around regret that you're trying to express um, in this particular experience? I would say that the the core goals in terms of audience takeaway um, are much more personal that, you know, that I mean, we look to create a pretty complex, um, sometimes overly dense constellation of ideas, experiences, imagery that, um, that ultimately refer back to whatever the viewing position is. Um, and so, you know, I mean, the same way that a constellation looks different from um, different latitudes, um, this is, um, you know, that, I mean, it, it is, it's an audience centric experience ultimately of sort of what they take away. Um, but definitely that, I mean, I think a guiding light in terms of referring back to sort of, you know, um, turning a, a theater experience inside out and taking an audience through the inside of what it is to, to make theater. Um, there's a lot about, about the cyclical nature of what we do of repetition and rehearsal, um, and sort of being stuck in these, in these circles and cycles of, um, yeah, of action and misstep and, um, yeah, the same mistake again and again and again, I guess. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, I, I would say some of my deepest regrets are, are sort of outstanding moments of, gosh, I really wish I hadn't made that choice or I really wish that that hadn't happened. Um, but probably the more important ones to, uh, in terms of, honing in on and, you know, in terms of sort of progressing as a human and, uh, you know, um, finding my way, um, with more grace, um, as I move forward, um, you know, that's more about the many small repeated <laughs> mistakes and, and yeah, regretful actions. Um, yeah, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> Sorry, that's depressing. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, it once again, kind of in many ways is part of life and just becoming aware of the things that cause regrets and the instances of possession, whether it be from an otherworldly supernatural force or just by habits that we don't even realize that we have. Um, mm -hmm. We can find ourselves in these situations very frequently and... I think that any any experience, any opportunity one has to kind of confront that, especially in a bit of an objectified way, you know, being something, being an idea that is for a moment for the course of an experience separate from oneself and then having the space to consider it at a little bit of a distance um, has has immense potential for being a very, very powerful, I mean, internal conversation just going through the experience. I, I hope, I hope that is true. Um, I can say, I mean, you know, in general, um, and I know you've, you've looked through our past catalog a bit, um, that, you know, we, we 
tend towards the pretty deadly serious, sometimes literally deadly serious. Um, <laughs> and, you know, our last show was in a slaughterhouse and contemplating human death as well as, you know, the, the massive, um, yeah, uh, uh, slaughter of animals that happened there. Um, and that show is not without some amount of lightness as well, but with, with this, um, project, we, you know, I mean, I, I think we've really played towards the comical, um, and like, yeah, that it's, it is deeply weird and, um, you know, at times sort of disturbing, but also ridiculous for the most part. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, that, that is both, I mean, it's driven partly by the contents by, um, uh, you know, I think the, the haunted house ethos that we do, you know, that I think our way into it was like, this is totally ludicrous. Like, you know, splatter gore and like the guy with the ax, um, and how, you know, how do we, how do we reveal that it's, that it's that versus honestly scary, um, but also like, you know, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, re regret is, I would say is a topic that is dangerous to dwell too much in. It takes us into nostalgia and into pessimism and into, um, yeah, sort of a forlorn relationship with, with the future. Um, and so trying to find lightness was, was partly strategic in terms of, um, yeah, that, that it, that we don't leave the audience on a, you know, hopefully we don't leave them regretting purchasing their ticket and showing up, but you know, we, we don't leave them <laughs> contemplating like, you know, core regrets in some really introspective way, but instead we sort of, you know, I, I, I hopefully part of the takeaway is like, Oh yeah, I'm sure, sure. I have things that I regret, but it's, I mean, it's not that bad. I mean, you know, compared to those crazy people <laughs> right, stuck right. in this theater in this endless cycle of uh, <laughs> ghost or alien possessed uh, performance. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, which hopefully is that you know, sort of that that objectivity. I mean, uh, you know, it is the experience is is right. I mean, you you are immersed in it, and it's um, pretty. Um, yeah, I mean fun in its depth of interaction and, and lovely invitations for, for trust and risk. Um, but isn't ultimately about your regrets, um, in the way that our last show was more than a little bit about your death and thinking about what that means to you. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, zany is a word that I've not ever applied to my art before. And yeah, that has been bandied about <laughs> quite a bit of this project. Ooh, new frontiers. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so I know cutting room floor, um, isn't opening until October 19th and mm -hmm. that's running through the 30th at the Aurora Fox art center. Um, once again, mm -hmm. for those listening from the Denver area who want to go check it out in the previous show and any other past shows, um, are there any particular stories that come to mind around guests that were particularly impacted or surprises in the way that guests have reacted to slash interacted with um, your immersive experiences? That's a great question. I feel like the I'm trying to think, I mean, like surprising moments that jump out in terms of the, our last show um, had this sort of <laughs> MFA thesis style title, aggregate immateriality. Um, and it was, yes, the, it was the yes. end of, um, over five years of um, series work and um, sort of long form research into um, the, into darkness. Um, so that, I mean, we, um, the full series was called dances made to be viewed in the dark and was really, it was, was simultaneously about the, the sensory perceptual experience of, of physical darkness. And then the cultural contents that we pile both into real, into physical darkness, but also um, sort of dark areas of cultural consideration or, um, yeah, um, things that, things that are assigned darkness. Um, and so, sort of, you know, unpacking um, uh, depression and um, sort of, um, yeah, illicit subculture, um, as well as just sitting with the space where nightmares emerge from and, um, and the biology of, of, you know, why fear, you know, why, why our heart starts to pound when it gets dark. Um, just and and, you know, I mean, it was, it was a way of, of grappling with the unknown. Um, I would, I mean, I think that has an overt spiritual element to it. Um, that is both, I mean, both cultural, um, in terms of how we relate to the other, um, and to the unknown, um, 
and is and is also distinctly spiritual in terms of you know I mean the, the end of that of the that research into darkness um, we knew from the beginning had to be death had to be this um, you know sort of the ultimate unknowable and so that you know that is that is an it's one of the core functions of religion to to help us grapple with the hugeness of the of our own mortality and the lack of of any available information. I mean, we, we define death as like the place beyond which no one has ever returned. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, we did a bunch of reading into near death experiences into the Tibetan, Tibetan book of the dead. Um, and so I would say I mean, a large part of the audience experience there was, it was exciting to see how willing people were to have a, a personal spiritual sort of transcendent experience in an art event. Um, and we for sure were not offering cult or church or, uh, you know, uh, offering much guidance, honestly, um, beyond just please come over here and have this experience um, here. Try this if you're interested in it. Um, and the, and people's willingness was was gratifying. And it was it was exciting to see. I mean, I, I very much subscribe to the Joseph Campbell um, sort of formulation of artists as cultural priests. And um, yeah, um, with with much humility, I believe that that um, you know the arts have a lot of potential to fill the space that you know that religion used to for people, and that we have largely stepped away from because um, of some of the foibles of religion becoming politics. Um, and um, yeah, and it was it was exciting to see how people walked out centered and blissed out and um, and and lit up in in ways that were you know it was, it was exciting to see how how pleased people were with this very dark, you know, I mean, gruesome and, and heavy experience. Um, I don't know if gruesome is the right word, but, you know, I mean, you could feel the death in the walls in this, um, it was an abandoned slaughterhouse that had been, um, yeah, it had a almost a century of, of history before it was closed down, um, you know, killing animals and packing them and shipping them out as meat. Um, and, and that was still very present um, in the, in the atmosphere. Um, and the fact that people weren't oppressed by that and weren't just every, that everybody didn't walk out just feeling dismal about the world, um, was a huge, exciting achievement. Um, yeah. within that, some of the, a couple more surprising experiences were about people who, there was one woman in particular who, um, there's a, there's a section where you, um, get invited to sit in a wheelchair and put on an eye cover and then you get a like a hand treatment, um, an exfoliation scrub, and then a little massage and a warm towel. Um, then you're rolled down a small slope, but it feels like a roller coaster when you're you know blind. Um, and you're you're given a rope to um, to follow to a seat. Um, and there's a, a very yeah sort of an echoey recording um, of my voice musing on the nature of darkness. It's very, you know, like it's, it's a place where we, you know, we try to sort of put in very, um, you know, we, the, the work in general can get obtuse in its um, most sort of high concept moments um, that it can, um, we, you know, we do some things that are fairly oblique and complex. And so we try to work in places where we really give, give audience concrete footholds, whether it's, um, you know, the concrete of narrative, or in this case, we really like give the, the thesis of the work, um, if you will, like, you know, in this, um, several minute, um, audio recording. Um, and this uh, one woman, um, was, I think sort of freaked out from the moment she walked in, like felt like this is, this is weird. This is not my culture. Um, she, she came with some friends who I think were, you know, knew a little bit about immersive art experience and were really jazzed about it. And she was sort of a skeptical um, sort of sidecar for the experience. Right, right. Um, and she totally freaked out. And she thought we were a cult. She thought that she might get killed. And she went storming out, which is really tough because, the, you know, this building is, you know, we're in this sort of catacomb basement. Um, she got she got lost in another room. Our stage management tracked her down. Um, I was sort of a floater for this show. And so they introduced her to me. She asked to be taken outside. We had a 10 minute conversation where I sort of talked her down and just asked, I mean, like, I totally get that you, that you read this as a cult and that, you know, I get why you're seeing that. But can I, like, can I ask you, was there anything that you felt was like imposed on you that wasn't an invitation that you wanted to accept? 
and she sort of, she slowed down and thought about it and ultimately decided to come back in. Um, this was oh, wow. um, about, there's about halfway through the show that this happened. So we were outside for maybe 15 minutes. She came back in, in time for this sort of 20 minute, um, climax and, and, um, yeah, sort of contemplative, um, end phase. Um, and it came up to me after the show and it was, it was really funny because she, you know, it was clear that she needed to sort of defend her initial response. She's like, that shit really was, pr-. sorry, am I, am I allowed to say shit? Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Anyway, uh, you can bleep me otherwise. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, that, that was really like a cultish experience. And also I'm sorry that I freaked out. Um, it was really cool. And I, I totally get what you guys were doing by the end. And, you know, sorry for dragging you outside. Thank you for sticking around and talking with me. But also I need to defend that, <laughs> that my reaction was totally legitimate. Um, and it, yeah, it was lovely to, to, I mean, to be able to say yes to that um, as well. To, I mean, you know, I think it is, it, 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 yeah, it is a goal of our work that it's open-ended enough that you are as a, as a guest, as, a, as a, an audience member experiencing it, are really in a position of agency to decide how you, how how you relate to the ideas being played out that it's not prescriptive in in terms of outcomes in terms of what we are asking people to think for the most part um yeah. just asking people to think about things we we assume you know i mean if, if we create a, a clear enough container for that that will allow people the space to step outside themselves and maybe to think more deeply about a topic or see it from a different perspective than they have before um and then it's up to them what they do with that yeah. Yeah. Um, the fact that she came back inside like that, that is really, really incredible to me. Uh huh. <laughs> I did not. Yeah. I mean, I was I felt like I was, yeah, offering a psychiatry session for a while <laughs> and I did not think that it was going to have a good outcome. Honestly, I, you know. Um, I was, I was getting ready to refund her, her money. <laughs> and instead, you know, I, mean, I think I said like, you know, and I have to go back inside. I have to, um, you know, move some folks around for this, the next phase of what happens. Um, would you like to join me or would you like to hang out out here and I can come and find you if you'd like to chat more after the show? Um, and really did, was not expecting her response. Sure. I'll come along. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, and I think potentially important side note here for our listeners. Tell your friends what they're getting into when you're bringing them along. If they're not familiar with the immersive world, you don't have to tell them the ins and outs of the experience. There's a degree of surprise, which is always fun, but give them some idea what they're getting into. It's always kind, but it's, it's such a, I mean, that's such a tough thing. I mean, you know, I feel like that starts with, with us and, and our advertising and yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing to calibrate what, what to tell and what to keep as a, you know, what, what secrets are lovely and what's going to be a triggering moment for somebody or, yeah, or just, yeah, a, 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 what, what, you know, how much information people need in order to have a, have a handle on what's going to happen and not be so untethered that they're, yeah, just <laughs> in free fall and get freaked out. Right, which right. We all do <laughs> in that, in, in that kind of situation confuse the art and the theatrical for some terms of reality. So maybe, right. maybe start them off with an intro experience. Be like, so this is an escape room. Uh-huh. There are puzzles here. Here is your anchor. <laughs> then work from there. But anyhow, yeah. um, so what about you as a guest? Um, do you have any personal stories of being particularly surprised, amazed or impacted? What have you um, in the course of an immersive experience? Um, you're making me out myself. I, I have seen honestly very little. Um, I've, I've seen a handful of immersive experiences that I did not have an artistic hand in. Um, but yeah, with the, you know, with working in, in Colorado, um, and, um, not having much, um, ability to move around to other cities, um, just in order to see great work. Um, I, yeah, I, I've, you know, so that, I mean, I, I have just in the last year um, made it the sort of, I felt like a sort of a necessary sabbatical to call myself a real immersive boy um, to, to, I went to New York um, for just for a couple days um, in between um, legs of another trip 
in order to see Sleep No More, and then she fell. Um, I've worked with Third Rail Projects on the show that they did here at Off Center um, at the Denver Center. Um, I have many friends who um, have performed in Sleep No More. Um, but yeah, I, I I can say that. So so the what I have to draw from is is quite slim. Um, and in terms of the, you know, being an immersive artist and sort of looking for structure and looking for how to activate what, you know, the, the tactics that I'm seeing and the, the, um, yeah, how to, how to learn, um, as, as a fellow professional from the experiences that I've gone through, I can say that, I mean, sleep no more was honestly for me, a lovely experience. And I've heard from many people that it's, that it's tougher to have a real legitimate experience there because there's so many, um, sort of yeah, repeat attenders, uh, groupies who, who know all the ins and outs and exactly where to stand to get all the special things. Um, but I, having, um, you know, we did, we did, a, our company did a good amount of sort of experimenting with immersive tactics, um, starting in 2000, really, I mean, really with our opening show in 2009. And I would say that most of our works had elements that were taking us beyond the proscenium, um, and that were engaging audience directly, um, but then in, in 2016, um, the Denver Center brought Third Rail Projects here to create Sweet and Lucky. Um, and I was part of the founding cast uh, or the originating cast of that show. Um, and that sort of blew open for me, like what was possible and also was amazing education in creating, uh, you know, tracked experiences and creating the sort of the clockwork movement of audience around a world. And so that's sort of that's where we've been doing most of our research over the last several years sort of unpacking what's possible in those kind of structures and seeing, you know, I think, I mean, I, I see tracked experience as a very warm embrace of the audience. Um, the rule setting is very overt. Um, the, um, yeah, the, the guidance is very sheltered in, in, um, important ways. I think that, you know, that breed trust and that, um, ensure that audience feel like they're, they're getting the, you know, the depth of the experience um, and it was, it was really exciting to not get any sort of limitations or, or parameters put on what I was supposed to do and then just climb into an elevator and get shunted off, um, and go running around this, you know, multi-story, you know, surreal warehouse wonderland. Um, and yeah, it, and I'm, I don't know, I'm, that, that left me mostly just, I mean, excited to, to see what else is possible there. I feel like I, I've been talking with folks in Colorado about what I would identify as sort of a, a, a Colorado style, dare I say that, to, to immersive that is, that's much more interesting, much more replete with trigger warnings, much more, I mean, I, th- I think we, 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 to my mind correctly assume that the audience here is less um less indoctrinated into what the the full sort of range of immersive art has to offer um there's a lot of interest in participatory experience um and not the rambunctious sort of attitude toward the art and toward the other viewers um that I think I, I don't I have can't I have no idea whether it is prevalent in New York and LA, um, but I get the sense from just from what I am able to you know what I'm able to track from a couple time zones away, um, you know it feels like people are you know are that there's a there's a there's a depth of experience among enough of the audience base um, that folks are you know are just are a little bit more proactive in, in pursuing the experience that they're looking for. Um, or I don't know. I mean, it could also, I mean, you know, my experience in sleep no more, I definitely equated with the the years that I lived in New York, like, Oh, this is how I elbow my way along South Broadway near Chinatown on a Saturday afternoon in the summer. Like this is, this is just how you have to be around a bunch of tourists if you want to get anywhere. Um, and you know, or this is the, you know, this, it was, there were moments that were, that I, was watching the scene and thinking, and it was like triggering like deep, like sense memory of cramming myself onto a crowded subway car at rush hour. Um, and you know, the Coloradans just aren't, are not put in claustrophobic situations that often are generally very like, it's both polite, but also really overtly friendly and chatty with each other with strangers. You know I mean? Like it's rare that you don't have an experience of, 
uh, of, you know, a pleasant brief conversation with the checker at the grocery store. Um, it's sort of rude if you don't. Um, and so anyway, that, I mean, I, I feel like there's a, in Colorado, there, there is a, a general trend toward, um, yeah, towards very, very generous and gentle experiences. Um, and I do want to say, I don't, I don't think that that prevents depth. Um, I think that it, yeah, we, we talk a lot about what we do in terms of a, you know, in terms of bankrolling trust, um, and that we, you know, we build trust in order to then spend it. Um, and that, that, yeah, that relationship with the audience is what allows us to go deep. Um, but I can say that, I mean, sleep no more left me with a whole lot of excitement about how we can let the rules remain implicit or how we can create, um, ex you know, experiences where the audience is more active and, um, and then the question of, you know, within the, you know, within the, the Colorado, um, audience that is not exactly more timid, but, but, you know, is not going to decide for certainty. Um, if it's not, you know, if, if the, there's not good indicators that they're supposed to behave that way, um, how to, how to stimulate that level of, of active viewing. Um, yeah. 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 Most definitely. Um, and that's a really interesting concept because there is definitely quite a bit more space out in the mountains and having lived in Colorado for a few years, um, I'm definitely familiar with the kind of different degree of, uh, social, social expectation, kind of social tenor, social atmosphere. Um, that is the contrast between Colorado West and New York East, um, especially having family, um, all from New York and mm -hmm. it is a, it is a pointed contrast and I've never it never occurred to me that that actually would manifest in the way that people experience um, or consume various immersive work, but it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, that's a really cool thing to think about. Um, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see. I mean, I, I I would say that it's a hypothesis at best at this point, um, and I definitely need to get get around to more places and see more work in order to be able to sort of get a, a broader yeah i think i mean a richer sense of the sort of landscape elsewhere um and yeah just i mean I, I, yeah i i think it's easy to what's the word i mean iconoclastic with with how we understand like you know to see new york you know as defined by um by punch drunk and um and third rail or to um to to see the la scene as defined by the like the extreme haunts or um, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, tension and, and those shows like the sort of like very extreme, um, experiential work, um, that is, that may not be actually the sort of, yeah, that, that, that obviously is not the full breadth of what's going on in those, um, you know, in, in those very rich, um, cultural centers. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. And to be entirely fair, I feel like once you start creating, it's hard to find the time to go and venture around if it's not like there and immediately accessible. You have to find your way to one coast or another to get access to a lot of the kind of hot spots of immersive work, though. I feel like that's changing. I think that I see a lot of potential for Denver to kind of become another hot spot for immersion. And and I mean, there's more and more cropping up in every different part of the country. So you'll have to see for what sure. that landscape looks like in a few years. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's very possible that my Denver hypothesis is really everything from like Western Pennsylvania to like the Sierra Nevadas. <laughs> right, um, right. It's just, you know, it's just all of the, like the sort of mid-sized American metropolises across the Midwest um, that, um, yeah, that just don't have the, uh, the sort of the claustrophobia of, of New York or just the, the press of people and the anonymity. Um, well, thank you for taking up the torch of, uh, <laughs> of adding more immersive experience and immersive adventure to, to different parts of the country. That is absolutely phenomenal. Um, would you potentially be game to shift into the make it immersive segment? Let's do it. Wonderful. So we have this concept of a multiverse with portals that 
give give you access to different worlds, but potentially different insights into, you know, what could be a renewed sense of self in different ways. Um, how how would you execute on that insofar as turning that into an immersive experience? Because, I mean, portals, I feel like, is a very conducive thing to an immersive format, certainly. Like, you've got doors, and inside of any given door, you can have a very different world going on. But, like, what would you want to see out of that? I think, I feel like where it gets really exciting is when, you know, if, if we can get beyond the sort of the Star Wars formulation, no, nothing against Star Wars, but, the, you know, the the idea that gravity is is constant and the oxygen is constant and all of these other elements, but there's just some planets are sand and some planets are jungle. Um, I think where, where it gets exciting is is if we can can really play with physics. And even with an unlimited budget, I am not exactly certain how, <laughs> how that uh, how that starts to formulate, and particularly within the parameters of you know creating art as an independent uh, performance company. Um, but I, yeah, I, I the, you know, the, I mean, the first gestures in terms of tactics that come to mind are finding some uh, <laughs> safe and liability, um, you know, safe and 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 le- legally feasible um, way of putting audience into, for instance, like a, a low fly um, aerial rig on bungee cords that can um, emulate, um, you know, low gravity, um, or. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean, this is not actually changing oxygen, but I mean, a thing that we've done in the past that um, we've run, you know, we've run into issues with with some audience members um, having what, yeah, what, we, we filled rooms with pretty dense fog. Um, and we did a plenty of research to identify that that was not, in fact, a health hazard. Um, but all of that research also had, you know, the little like, a, a sort of tag on the end of it by the way people will still have psychosomatic reactions and it can trigger asthma attacks um, we didn't have anybody um you know get into a dangerous situation at all but um had people who commented that it that, that they were worried about their health in terms of you know dense fog and i, I jumped towards physics partly because i think the the rules would need i mean like the, the what, what's exciting about that sort of that pioneer ethos and that the the feeling of being an explorer in the wilderness is that the that you're figuring out the rules of of the game each time that you enter a new world, and physics becomes a very I think a simple or a, an obvious concrete way to do that. And I think to to some degree, you know, if, I mean, creating this create you know putting audience in a role of of explorer is a much more high agency experience than a um, than a tracked, um, you know, clockwork where you're, where the audience is being guided to each next performative moment. Right, right. Oh man, I'm treading Playing water physics would be amazing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm into it. I like the idea. Um, <laughs> just happen across a, a door and an experience that says, hey, unless you know how to use a wind tunnel, this room is not for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would be absolutely phenomenal. Um, and yeah, if, I... And- I haven't even like encountered or like thought about the idea of playing with that dynamic, but I'm sure there's ways to do it. Um, that would be, you know, short of injecting a wind tunnel into an experience. <laughs> well, and I would say, I mean, you know, I mean, this is, I, I can say, I, or I, yeah, I should probably have premised this whole conversation with, I don't see myself, uh, I, I work from like, from big, like thematic concepts, but I am not a conceptual artist. I do not conceive great ideas and then manifest them. Um, and, and, you know, I should also say control group is very much a collaborative endeavor. Um, but the way that we work best is, you know, picking a general topic and then install or, or like introducing a bunch of parameters, um, whether it's the site or the, you know, just that we're the people who we cast or, um, or things that we are, yeah, just choices that we're making about how the work will function. Um, and then, and then we get to set about problem solving, um, and sort of, yeah, figuring out how to, how to build from the elements that are present. And so this is me going again to like tactician of with a wind tunnel that, you know, I think that that becomes a very, that, that is a great sort of case study in how to create an exciting immersive experience because it's something you, you can feed in gradually. Um, and, 
I think, you know, so to some degree there might need to be an, uh, you know, a prep, like, uh, like a preparatory, um, yeah, yeah. portion of the experience, but it can also be something where there is no wind and then there's a little bit of wind and then there's more and more and more, um, where, as long as you can tap out at any time, um, you know, you can slowly incline yourself into, into that, that lateral pressure of the wind, um, and sort of find your way into this different experience of how you, you know, of, of your, your stance and your gait as you walk through, um, the, you know, the tunnel. Um, and that, that, that sort of the invitational and, um, yeah. And, and sort of gradually, you know, like sort of staged elevation, I think it is. I mean, I think it's a, it's a valuable tactic. I don't think it has to be that way again with the, like, how about just climb into this elevator, get off and then go racing after the first performer who runs by. Um, but it, it's a, it's a way of, of building trust, um, and maybe a lovely way of sort of video gaming the, um, the experience in, ter- you know, in terms of like, you know, if we were actually to drop people into these very different worlds, the obvious danger is that you, you know, drop into a planet that, you know, that has a, uh, the uh, primary in atmosphere, primarily made of sulfur. Um, and right, just everybody right. dies within 30 seconds of asphyxiation. <laughs> that was um, not worth the ticket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that, you know, they, I mean, those kind of incremental, um, you know, the, the initial invitation and then the incremental increase um, become ways of sort of creating experiences that can get risky um, that we you know, we, you know, that, that are very much like, like any good video game, like, okay, here's, here's level 1.1, figure it out. Okay. We're going to go up and up and up and, oh, now, now there's a baddie who you have to fight. And, you know, you really have to bring your, the, your current skill set to bear on that. And then you go up to a next level that is, you know, blows your mind again. I am. <laughs> well, like I very much like the line of thinking that you're running on here. Um, and I'm super intrigued to, see next time I have the chance to come to Denver, see some manifestation of that, but that's really cool. Um, the idea of using physical elements of an environment rather than thinking of it as, I don't know, not just an environment, but something like the, the environment itself, the context of the environment itself is something that is almost personified or just something you have to interact with and actively engage with is, I don't know, at least in the way that we're talking about it. I'm not sure if I've encountered anybody or anything who's doing that. So that would be that would be phenomenal. That would be really, really cool to experience. Um, it does. I mean, like my yeah, my administrative brain is screaming that it's entirely impractical and cost prohibitive and liability prohibitive. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> we'll have to we'll yeah, we'll have to uh, do some uh, vision building and, you know, sort of parallel budget building uh, right, right. to get to the point where we can uh, use a wind tunnel and put folks in uh, multiple cord bungee apparatus and <laughs> all the rest of that. But it's possible. You know, I mean, I think the, I don't know, we might need to, uh, to take more of an Odyssey works approach where we're creating single person, $10,000 experiences. <laughs> right. Right. Oh man. But all potential things in the horizon potential things in the horizon as as the immersive world grows and changes what have you um Mm -hmm. because i think we'll we'll see a lot of doors open up that will make things possible that i think right now are just not even even conceived of as a potential for immersive experiences of any variety um down -hmm. the road so i actually wanted to wrap back around uh to something you had mentioned earlier being um your work with third rails team um Mm -hmm. In and of course, with their show with the Denver Center for the Performing Arts, um, I read that you said that it like kind of unlocked something for you and changed the way. Um, well, changed a lot insofar as the way you thought about creating and performing and immersive overall. And I was just curious, like, what was that unlock? What did you take away from that, or how has that impacted the way that you've created since then? So for, I mean, from our founding 2009, we were playing with, with tactics and there were things that, you know, some things that I had done before as a performer, um, I, I had worked brief, uh, or worked, uh, previously in, um, New York for several years and Europe for a couple of years. And so it was partly activating those experiences and, um, sort of following, yeah, following leads that sort of, that we could, I think we could make clear sense of, but a lot of it felt 
more than shooting in the dark for sure, but felt experimental. Um, felt like we were doing preliminary research and it was mind boggling and super enlightening and fulfilling to, um, yeah, to have Zach Morris and his, um, assistant directors on the project show up and say, Oh, we have tactics for that. We have a methodology for this. We, you know, here, you know, here's this, this clockwork structure of how the audience and the performers move around this world. Here are, you know, here's choreography, um, you know, the way that you, um, move through a space to get people to follow you or to get them to stay where, where you want them to, where you want to leave them. And what, what was, what was really exciting. I mean, I feel like the, you know, in general, I see the immersive world as this, yeah, very welcome, more than corrective, but like a, a like a sort of a counterswing in the avant-garde movement of the 20th century that, um, you know, at its best was doing these incredible um, eye-opening provocations, but was also lodged in some really alienating practices. Um, I think that, I mean, a, a lot of the contemporary art from the, you know, sort of post-war contemporary art um, was made from a implicit perspective that you might need a PhD to understand it. Um, and... The fact that, yeah, I mean, I think what I saw in in Third Rail's approach was absolutely uh, like some rigorous experimentation at work and research into an innovation um, that they weren't simply, you know, they they hadn't figured out a formula and just replicate and they weren't just replicating the formula. They had they had figured out some methodologies that were a platform for much deeper and more pointed um, investigation. You know, so for the, I mean. I, I think I, what I see as one of the just incredible sort of geniuses of Sweet and Lucky was the way that it read the Denver audience. Um, you know, and it was the it was the first sort of large scale immersive experience um, that was available to you know to a broad general public here. Um, and the fact that it was built by the Denver Center and um, yeah, and and had this really um, rich funding from the Wallace Foundation um, allowed it to be monumental. Um, and the, and I, I, you know, Zach Morris grew up here, um, in Denver. And so, and the work was very much about his grandparents. Um, and there was just, there was an incredible understanding of what people would be ready for, how to, how to build trust and create comfort and, and take people on a ride that was, ex, that was entirely different than what 95% of the audience who came through had ever witnessed before or had ever participated in before. Um, and the, you know, underpinning all of that was the, all of the stuff that they knew about in general, how, you know, how to create the, um, yeah, just the, the matrix of, of audience and, and performer movement, how to, um, how to, how to create these, um, sort of like how to drop into engagement directly with audience and then drop away into sort of performance in near, like in near space to the audience, um, how to tether folks and, and guide them how to, yeah. Um, yeah. How to, how to have an unbroken experience. Yeah. And, and I, I, I guess I, what I, what I saw there was, it, it was like, if you've been exploring a place on horseback and all of a sudden somebody drives up in a Jeep, like here, here's the keys. And you know, there's been a learning curve in figuring out how to drive that Jeep, but where it's, a, you know, where it has then subsequently allowed us to go artistically has been, you know, just so much easier to, to get across terrain that was previously unfamiliar and felt like an experiment, um, and get much deeper into nuanced research and, and innovation and experimentation. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is, such a very large element of peer experimentation in the creation of immersive work. Um, even, even with that Jeep. Um, right. But it's such a, I mean, yeah, it's still very much an emerging form and sprawling all over the place and in really exciting ways. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really cool to see even just in the last few years, the degree to which there is a greater kind of wealth of knowledge around the creation of experiences. Um, mm -hmm. And just the fact that experience designer is now a job title, like that was not a thing up until very recently. Like how cool is that? For sure. Um, well, wonderful. I think that we are unfortunately coming up on time here, but before we go, of course, where can people find you and 
Control Group Productions and your work and where, where would you point people to? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, our website and social media are great places to see um, some imagery to read about um, past events. Um, we have Cutting Room Floor coming up um, the second half of October. And then after that, we, we've been on a slow pivot away from, you know, for a while we were running as like a um, more traditional theater season kind of structure um, and have happily moved away from that into like longer burn, um, larger budget. Um, yeah. Sort of like centralizing more of our resources around um, each project. So our next um, public event of size will not happen until June. Um, but I can say that it is worth traveling for. We are going to, we're doing a, basically a bus tour um, of um, Denver and some surrounding areas um, with, um, site performance in multiple locations, um, some outdoor, some indoor. Um, I believe that we are going to, um, succeed on a, on being able to, um, have a custom renovated bus, um, that will, you know, be part of the, the experience will be sort of ongoing from the time you're picked up. It'll be like, I mean, we're hoping that it is a big tourist attraction, that it's like, you know, the, in, in, on one hand, the wildest um, sort of civic tour you've ever been on. On, on the other hand, uh, you know, a very rich artistic experience. And that'll run for eight weeks, um, June through early August um, in 2020. Um, so, yeah, buy your plane tickets now. I'm just saying it. It's, it'll, be, it'll be worth your time. Um, and yeah, I, we do have, we have some seedlings that we are cultivating, um, for the possibility of doing work in other, um, other cities. Um, but I have no idea what timeline those would move forward on. Um, so in the meantime, come to Denver, there's lots of great, um, art and, um, I I think a nice burgeoning immersive scene here um that we are are, we're trying to cultivate not just our own work but a a community of artists and um and definitely audience as well and off center at the denver center is helping a lot with that but yeah anybody who is uh who's interested in exploring what we have to offer there's denver is a fruitful place right now it feels like Um, there's a whole lot of goodness here that it most definitely is it is indeed an incredible town so yes buy your plane tickets um (laughs) check out everything that control group has online because um actually you guys have some really incredible uh video work capturing some of capturing little windows into the experiences that you've created which is something that is very tricky to do um for a lot of immersive experiences but something you guys do also incredibly well um oh and that i apologize to inter- for interrupting no you worries. just jogged loose we are we are about to release a a very cumbersome sized um, experimental film, basically. Yeah, it's it's too long to to try to pitch as a short to festivals. Um, it's I think it, it'll end up somewhere in the thirty five to forty minute range. Um, that is one of the primary goals is to sort of reflect an immersive experience in a screen that we can distribute, you know, in a, in a you know or a digital file that we can distribute to screens across the world. Um, I'm not certain how we will have that available, um, online, but, um, yeah, anybody who's listening and is interested in, um, getting a hold of that digital file, let me know. I, yeah, I think it, yeah, we're, we've been working on the product and then figuring out how to get it out to people. Um, we would love to hear ideas. Um, but yeah, that is, that's a, I'm excited that we have that, um, as a way to reach folks far away from us. Well, that is incredibly exciting. Um, and of course, as things move along on all fronts there, um, we will be putting out updates on everything that you guys are doing uh, on the Immersion Nation website, of course. Um, and yeah, yeah, that is, that is phenomenal. Uh, the, that, I'm excited to see it. <laughs> that, that's what I have to say <laughs> there. I'm very excited to see um, what you guys have created there. Um, awesome. Yeah. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for your time and for taking an interest. And thank you for the invitation to be here. Of course, of course. And of course, and as always, to everybody listening, all of the various things that we've mentioned throughout the conversation can be found in the show notes at immersionnation.com slash podcast. And until next time, 
Thank you for listening. Calling all immersive adventurers, explorers, connoisseurs, and artists. The immersive revolution is just beginning. All that is to say, we would love any feedback that you might have on the show. What do you want to hear more of, less of? Anyone in particular you'd like us to have on the show? I would love to hear your thoughts. So please rate us, review us, or just drop us a line on the website at immersionnation.com. I always love having conversations about this wide and wild world that we are both living in and creating. Once again, this is the Immersion Nation podcast. Thank you for joining us in this adventure.